0: okay you guys we're not quite at new year's day where you start with the resolutions but we're almost there right And everybody's mind it's on oh suddenly health and fitness too many holiday treats right lead us to jump right into action with the health-centric new year's resolutions well this time last year when gyms and fitness studios were all shuttered right lockdown horrible right fitness streaming had exploded pelotons were on back order at home gym equipment like the mirror and plain old dumbbells there was a huge rush to get them i think i waited seven months to get five pound dumbbells i mean it's ridiculous crazy but my guest today big in the fitness world with 10 different brands i guarantee you have heard of he started Simply by joining a boxing gym in Orange County back in 2001. 10 months later, he's like, hmm, let me buy it. And today he's at the forefront of the biggest fitness brands and streaming. So, how did he go from being the first in his family to graduate from college to now fitness mogul? Let's ask him how. We welcome Anthony Geisler of Exponential Fitness. It's great to have you on. Everyone talks to Liz, Anthony.
1: Thanks, Liz. Happy to be here.
0: Oh, great. Wait, one single membership at a boxing gym. Tell us how this all began.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I joined a boxing gym just like anybody would. It was a one-off, kind of off the beaten path, old Rocky kind of type looking boxing gym. So not... Not in the shopping centers that we're in today. I think uh, I think a third of the building had been burnt down in an electrical fire and never repaired. Uh, you know the the heavy bags used to be heavy bags years prior. They were now duct taped together. The the treadmills didn't really turn on. You just kind of ran hard enough to make the belt <laughs> spin. So it was uh, it was a tough spot. But, uh, you know, I joined it, loved it, uh, trained there, fought in their smoker fights. Um, you know, you, you find out in the ring, just like you find out a lot about life that you, you have a fight or flight response and there's only two choices in the ring and, uh, The people there, you know, seemed to get along with me well or I got along with them well because although they actually really knew how to fight, uh, I was at least willing to try and fight. Uh, You know, I probably looked like a a drunk girl in a bar, but I I, uh, was willing to swing for the fences to survive and, uh, you know, didn't know that when I was fighting those smoker fights, um, you know, looking ugly but uh, having a lot of heart that that was going to be a – a foreshadowing of my, my next 20 years in the fitness space. But, uh, but originally just joined like anybody that, uh, you know, would join a local boxing gym and, um, you know, didn't, didn't think much more of it than that at the time.
0: But 10 months later, you're buying this thing. What kind of money did you have? I mean, right away I'm thinking, Oh, Oh. this guy is already big bucks. He's got filled pockets.
1: Yeah, no, we, uh, didn't have a lot of money. Thank God the gym wasn't worth a lot of money. Uh, the, uh, the repair, the shape that it was in. Um, you know, I remember to this day asking the uh, current owners kind of, you know, why is it $300 a year? You know, how'd you guys come up with this pricing plan? It's not per month, it's per year. And where'd you come up with $300? Cause you know, I graduated from USC's entrepreneur program and we did a lot of work on recognizing opportunity. And so I kind of saw this opportunity, a couple of professional fighters that owned it, but you know, they weren't business people. And, um, so I asked questions like that. And the answers I would get was, you know, well, you can get 300 out of the ATM at the Circle K next door. So we made our pricing schedule 300 for the year, right? Because Come on. It, wasn't, it wasn't like they were taking credit cards or doing, there was no membership card. It was just kind of like, hey, give us 300 bucks and we'll we'll let you live for 12 months. And then when we think <laughs> it's been about 12 months, we'll hit you up for another 300. So it was, uh, they had a guy at the front desk selling gym memberships during the week, and he was selling barbecues at the swap meet on the weekends. And, um, and so. You're
0: like, you, yeah. you, calling. you, were. Right, you should that be is, a
1: stand-up comic. No, but that, that was that was the story. And uh, But we had a lot of professional fighters training in there. And, and what I really recognized was although the setting may not have been the prettiest and the guys running it may not have, you know, been business people trying to really run a business. They're running what I call today, passion projects, right? Just something they're super passionate about. Uh, The reality was the workout was just insanely good. And, you know, it was kind of like looking around a restaurant that's, you know, poorly run and, and, you know, and it's packed and you're like, well, it has to be the food, right? Because it's not the service and it's not the location, so people must be driving for the food and that was what I really identified at LA boxing when I had one location is that the workout was phenomenal people came and were willing to pay and suffer through the rest of it to get their great results in the workout and um, ultimately I thought hey if I can if I can take um, you know what I knew about the business world at that time which probably wasn't a lot I was you know fresh out of college so I, I probably thought I knew a lot more than I actually did um, but I thought hey if I could take the business world piece and combine it with this great product um, and then see where it goes. But I did have a lot of money at all. So it was, it was rough coming up with the uh, with the cash to do it. As a matter of fact, people asked me why I started franchising and I said, well, I, you know, I had to, right. I didn't have any money to go open. I mean, LA boxing ended up selling 200 franchises, um, you know, cut out of the gates. And you know, there's no way I could have opened 200 stores. So,
0: you mentioned USC. Now, I'm from LA. I went to Berkeley, so I'm I'm public school girl. And back in the day, now USC is brutally difficult to get into. Back in the day, USC stood for University of Spoiled Children. That was the big joke. Yeah. You are anything but having grown up a spoiled child. Tell us about. Your childhood and working for your mom's business, which was a cleaning business.
1: Yeah, my mom uh, had a business. She was an RN here. And then we moved to Arizona uh, for my dad to get a job and then uh, moved back when I was seven. And so, you know, my mom wanted a schedule where she could still, you know, pick my brother and I up from school and drop us off. And so cleaning houses just kind of led to that. She could drop us off, clean a house, pick us up. We'd clean a house with her you know, and go home so she could, you know, still make an honest living, but would have a bit of a flexible schedule. And it wasn't on a nine to five basis when, you know, we got out of school at two o'clock. And so uh, my parents always did everything they could to make sure that, you know, they could be around and be a part of our lives. But, uh, you know, that also comes at the expense of trying to make money or doing jobs that just aren't the most glamorous uh, of jobs that people want to do. And so, you know, they did that. My dad was a food broker, um, you know, so he resold primarily candy to, uh, you know, large grocers and got a commission. He set up store shelves and, you know, a new stores and put in the tags and did all that stuff at two and three in the morning that none of us ever see when we show up to shop. Um, So, you know, family definitely worked, you know, very hard uh, for whatever bit they had. I ended up going to junior college, uh, at Saddleback for my first three years while I was, uh, parking cars as a valet at the Ritz Carlton and working as a dishwasher at Sioux plantation and a bus boy in a French restaurant. And I DJed, I washed cars. I did, you know, anything I could do, um, to, uh, to earn a buck and stay afloat and did my three years at junior college. And, um, you know, unfortunately I had a, an aunt who was a great aunt back East that uh, passed away and she thought college was $15,000 a year, which maybe certain places back East, it was. I um, you know she was in her eighties uh, at that time, uh, which was 20 years ago. And so, you know, you can imagine what the dollar was worth then, but she, uh, she believed it was $15,000 a year and left me $60,000 because that was four years of college. And, um, and it wasn't 60,000, I could do what I wanted with. It was, you know, it was college money directed, you know, straight to the university type thing of wherever I wanted to go. Uh, problem was USC was more like 45,000 a year and not 15. So, um, you know, I did my three years at junior college to get, you know, my general ed out of the way. Wanted to go to SC, wanted to go to SC's business school. More importantly, I wanted to do all that because I wanted to get in their entrepreneur program. And that was what my sights were set on. About 100 kids uh, got into the program. Uh, But, you know, you had to get an SC first and then then you had to apply to the business school and then the entrepreneur program. So it was kind of a a three-step process. When really all I cared about was the third step. And um, so ended up did that, you know, worked on a transfer program between the the university and the JC. And I I still to this day, I remember being on campus and they, uh, you know, they looked up as as the average GPA and it was like 3.8. And of course I knew that it was like, that's where rich kids went. And I wasn't one, Um, you know, I didn't have anybody to write me a letter of recommendation that had gone there. Um, You know, so. All the ways that you're supposed to get into USC, supposedly, uh, I didn't have. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I had Pell Grants, student loans, Stafford loans, racked up credit card debt, saved as much money as I could going into it. Um, still came out in debt, um, even with the 60,000. And uh, that was an expensive school, but a great education and a, and a great experience. Um but yeah, I don't I just I tell everybody it must have been the essay I wrote on a floppy disk because uh, that was how I submitted it back in the day uh, because it, it wasn't because I had money or I was a 3.8 GPA, which was the average accepted that year. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm not a genius. I just, you know, I'm willing to work when others sleep and, you know, and outwork people when they're awake. Um, so maybe that came through in my essay. I don't know. I'm still, no, uh, still you wondering. Know what?
0: I, I do believe that when you're talking about entrepreneurs, you have to have that special something that says, I won't quit. I won't stop. I will work 24 seven. This is not for spoiled kids. And when you're applying to that type of program, they see that, oh, this is a guy who's totally committed. And there you were at this boxing gym, you purchase it you figure out the finances of it, but then you realize, I got to go franchise. That's a big leap to go from that to franchising. And then, as you said, 200 franchises. What was the process like?
1: Yeah, well, you know, like I said, it was born out of necessity because, you know, my parents were counting on me to retire them. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't planning on uh, getting money out of them. And so I I didn't have anyone rich in my family to go to the SBA didn't really want me, uh, because I didn't have a lot of assets. So you're kind of that too big to be small, too small to be big sort of bucket. And so, you know, finance everything I could through uh, credit cards and, you know, money I was saving and those kinds of things to, to get the first one started. And, um, you know, and we bootstrapped it. I mean, if it, if it hadn't gone right, like exactly right, um, you know, it it would have been curtains. And there, there were many times along the path, even when we first started franchising, I I remember. So we started franchising my payroll at that point was $25,000 a month. And we uh, we, I've never missed a payroll and I've never been late, but the closest I ever came was, was this scenario. And I had to run payroll that day and I didn't have the money. Uh, and that was it. And it was going to be, I was just going to have to accept it. Like that was, that was it. i looked at every corner, nook and cranny. I could, I called my parents and you know, my dad's like, well, I got a home equity line of credit. Maybe I can help. And I'm like, well, that would, that'd be the most expensive money I ever had. Cause they don't have any themselves. And, and, uh, you know, I ended up that right before lunchtime, this guy walks in. It's like these famous stories where you're like, how is that even possible? But this guy we had talked to locally about buying a franchise weeks before, we thought this guy was no longer interested. He pulls up to the office in his car, white BMW, still remember it. I'm standing up front. He walks in and he's like, hey, how you doing? I said, good, good to see you again. He's like, yeah, he goes, well, we're going to do it you know we signed the franchise agreement we brought you a check and our franchise fee was twenty five thousand back then which just happened to be what our payroll was a month it just
0: happened to be
1: it was so perfect and uh literally i had to keep my cool you know i couldn't do a cartwheel and a backflip and hug him and kiss him and <laughs> thank him for saving me and to this day unless he listens to this to this day he probably doesn't know he saved me but um But I, uh, I took it and said, Hey, look, I'll have to go in the back and make a photocopy of it and we'll countersign it. I'll bring it out to you. And he said, great. So I went in the back, I handed the check to our receptionist. And I'm like, you get in your car, you drive to the bank, you put this in right now. And, uh, so she's like, okay, she went out the back door, drove around him, uh, to the bank while I'm photocopying and, uh, countersigning this agreement. So By the time he got back in the car, thank God technology isn't what it is today. He would have gotten a text message that said, your check 1029 just cleared. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I guarantee you that check was live in our account before he got uh, he got back out to his car to get down the freeway. So
0: it's brilliant. The world and the universe (laughs) work in such mysterious ways. I mean, let's fast forward. L.A. boxing becomes the world's largest boxing, kicks boxing and mixed martial arts fitness franchise. Uh, it was acquired, what, by UFC Gyms in 2013. What was that moment like for you? How did that come about?
1: It was pretty surreal. You know, they uh, they called, I, I remember I was driving my little Mini Cooper, driving up north. I used to drive from store to store to check on the franchises because it was cheaper to drive than, than fly and hotel and all those things. And I would do these long 22, 23-hour trips where I'd drive up north, hit all the stores and drive home. And Make my now wife talk to me on the ways, you know, way back the last couple hours because, you know, if I hang my head out the window like a dog trying to stay alive, but it was, you know, too expensive to stay up in Silicon Valley overnight. But, um, but look, I, you know, we, uh, I got a call from them when I was in my Mini Cooper driving around and, you know, they said that, uh, you know, they had done about five UFC gyms at that time and they were big boxes and, they were looking to start, you know, wanting to franchise and they were kind of figuring out, do they buy me or compete with me? And they wanted to make sure that I could turn all the LA box things into UFC gym. So that contractually I could do it, which I could, and then I was, you know, willing to do it. Uh, and I was, cause you know, UFC was a, a massive name then and, and would be an upgrade for my franchisees to get a kind of multi-billion dollar brand, um, you know, on their door. And so, that was how it started from a mini Cooper up in North Cal, uh, getting a phone call and it's kind of like, is this for real? And, uh, you know, I, I knew I had married the, uh, the right woman or was marrying the right woman. Cause at the time when I was, uh, was getting married to her, the, the day they, they wanted to do their due diligence and clothes and everything was, you know, starting the day after our wedding. And so that's, uh, typically what they refer to as your honeymoon. And, uh, <laughs> I, I had to, uh, I told them, I said, well, guys, I'd love to do that. But, you know, the, the 22nd, you know, is my honeymoon. And like good private equity guys, they came back and said, well, where's your honeymoon? <laughs> and um, and I said, well, I think we're going to just drive over to Scottsdale. And they said, so that's fine. We know how to get to Scottsdale. And so uh, okay, I, I started the uh, due diligence uh, in Scottsdale. And we, uh, you know, it was kind of like my wife. Hung out at the pool, and I was working at, inside the restaurant, and we were getting the deal done, and and so we closed uh, on New Year's Eve at like two thirty in the afternoon on uh, twenty twelve. Oh. Um, so it was uh, it was quite the task. It took about three months, um, and uh, and we banged it out. But that Honestly, was the uh, uh, first acquisition,
0: an amazing story. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we'll be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With MasterClass you can learn from the best to become your best. MasterClass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with MasterClass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say I want to learn about business and then another where you say I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no food. Fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. So now you run Exponential Fitness, which is in essence a curator of leading boutique fitness brands. I know a lot of our listeners have heard of at least one or many of these. Cycle Bar, Stretch Lab, Rumble. You've got, uh, what else? Throw it all in. I mean, we got
1: Pure Bar and Club Pilates and uh, Row House and AKT Dance and Stride, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. Uh we just acquired uh BFT Body Fit Training. Um and so we're, you know, we're at ten and uh and still still continue to get a lot of demand. So, you know, we will we will keep continuing as long as that demand keeps keeps continuing as well.
0: Well speaking of demand, uh we've got to talk about the pivot, which of course we might be in part two of that. Uh, Who knows? It's just gonna take time to find out. But A year and a half ago, March of 2020, the world shuts down. You had to pivot. You went big on streaming, became huge. Um, Now we're looking at this Omicron virus. Are you seeing any kind of sort of retreat by customers, clients? Tell me what you're seeing on the the landscape at the moment.
1: Yeah, we're not. We didn't see it with Delta in July. Um, You know, we did our IPO in July. And, uh, you know, a lot of the investors were concerned with Delta. But we actually had our biggest month ever uh, in company history in July, we had our biggest Q3 ever in company history. Um, you know, that we just reported, uh, last month. And, um, you know, we said it with Delta variant that it it didn't have an effect or a material effect on our business. Uh, the same is true with this variant. Um, you know, it makes, makes a lot of news, um, but makes a lot of headlines, uh, publicly, but, you know, as far as our members coming in, you know, they continue to come in and, you know, we're not a big box gym or boutique fitness. So, you know, we only have three or 400 members per location. So we're not trying to get in, you know, tens of thousands of people or thousands of people or whatever. So I think people feel very comfortable with that in this boutique experience too. They expected the cleanliness and the protocols, a lot of the stuff that came along with COVID we were already doing because people expected that level of service uh, that we had at boutique fitness. And so Obviously, masking was new or things like that, but outside of that, um, you know, a lot of it was business as usual for us.
0: You strike me as an incredibly competitive guy, but with a very rational (laughs) focus, one foot in front of the next, figure out a way. One door shuts, you jump in the side window. The side window shuts, you go around the back to the basement. You're always kind of figuring out a way. You are now figuring out a new way. You're venturing into the augmented reality space. You've got a new production studio called X Studio. Can you explain what that is and how it'll add to your platform?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we were probably the most prepared for COVID unknowingly than anyone out there. We bought our own production facility in the summer of 2019. So we had our own camera crews. We'd already filmed thousands of hours of live and edited content and, Oddly enough, we were prepared to launch our new studio April 1st of 2020. And so, well, we really had to do when COVID hit was move our, you know, kind of our launch up a couple of weeks. Um, And we did that. And so, you know, that helped. We really just kind of flipped everyone from the physical world to the digital world. And as the world reopened, we flipped everyone back again, which, you know, still allowed us to process almost a half a billion dollars in 2020. Like we... We temporarily closed 1,500 locations, but we opened back up 1,850, not losing a single store. And so we grew by 20-plus percent, our door count, you know, during COVID. And, you know, because our community is so strong, we were able to do that on the backs of, you know, indoor, outdoor, digital. Um, But the digital landscapes changed, right? After one year, it was, you know, people were expecting new things. And so we went back into the studio, invested more money and rebuilt the studio for a new relaunch. Um, you know, Originally our idea was to launch this direct consumer, but we realized when the stores were closed, if we went to the consumer, that would put the franchisee out of business. And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to compete with our franchisee, So we gave our digital product uh, free of charge to the franchisee and let them turn around and charge their members for it. Uh, and that was how we were able to process all that money uh, that, that kept the stores afloat. So you've got all these brands. <clears throat>
0: And I'll never forget once, you know, we're at Fox. So, of course, Rupert Murdoch founded the company and um, runs it brilliantly. He was once asked, which competitor do you admire and why? This was, I want to say, 2007. Fox Business had just launched. So I'd left CNBC to take a chance on a startup. And he said, I think the New York Times has an amazing website. The Wall Street Journal, which Rupert had just bought, I want the Wall Street Journal to have an amazing website, and ours just isn't there right now. But boy, does the New York Times do it well. Fast forward to today, the Journal is huge. It's got a paywall; people pay for it. It's it's done incredibly well. Who of your competitors do you admire?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been uh, it's a good question. Um, But in in this space, um, you know, it's it's been tough uh, to find competitors um, that are kind of the size that exponential is right. Uh, You know, the, the the people that that fuel us, that fuel my competitive nature aren't necessarily my competitors, but our franchisees, when you look. When you look at the grit and the grind that our franchisees have to do to go turn that lock every day, um, you know, I had a franchisee in New York City who said, you know, my apartment is staring at the back of the hospitals. Like I was when COVID hit. She's like, I'm watching them load people into this truck and then I'm just supposed to go get my stretch lab up and running today in the city, right? And it's, uh, it's crazy. The resiliency of our franchisees, um, and what they're able to do. Um, I mean, of all people, I mean, it's, it's the resiliency of this industry has been amazing. Um, you know, guys like Chris at planet fitness has done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, Chris and I talk all the time. Uh, he's great. He's, he's definitely the pioneer of the, the public fitness company kind of type situation. Right. Um, I tell him, he's, he's like, congratulations, your stock's up 100%. And I said, well, thank you for paving the way, right? Because <laughs> if it, uh, you know, fitness wasn't a Wall Street darling uh, before Planet kind of came along. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of guys I look up to in the industry that have, you know, have paved the way and done a great job. Orange Theory's done a great job. Dave Long over there and team, um, you know, have, have done an insane uh, business over there. So, a lot of people I looked up to that paved the way to me, uh, for me, kind of, you know, coming into the public side of things, coming to the fitness side of things. But I would say on a daily basis, kind of the resiliency of our franchisees and that grit and grind that you see them open the door with every day that they have to have is, is inspiring to me.
0: Uh, you just said uh, they have to open the locks on the doors every day. These are small business people who are scratching it out and really taking on all of the risk and I I just think to have somebody like you as their sort of coach and mentor and they can pick up the phone and say boy it's feeling really difficult right now which leads me as we finish up to this question what does someone who's listening right now who dreams of starting their own business what characteristic served you best when it came to building exponential and what you have today
1: yeah. I think it's just, it's just that grit and grind. It is just get up every day. Like you said earlier, put one foot in front of another because you, you don't know is if you give up today, would tomorrow have been the breakthrough. Right. And so you, you've got to go to bed every day thinking, you know, tomorrow you're going to get up and that's going to be the day. Um, you know, and so I think that's just what it is for people is just don't give up, you know, do not give up keep pushing forward. There's nothing I did that was genius work. I wasn't a, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't born a, a gifted boutique fitness franchisor. or I don't even know how you could be, it could be born that way. But, um, but that, that wasn't some genetics I was born with, but I, I, I am willing to outwork you and I will beat you um, whether it's your game or my game. I will learn your rules and I will figure them out and I will beat you at your game. Um, and, and you have to think that it was like fighters getting in the ring. Like I talked about in the beginning, you, you don't see these fighters. You see Mike Tyson, everybody made so much fun of him for years where he said, you know, I'm going to eat your children and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, you're getting, you're getting in the, the ring with somebody else who's trying to knock your head off. Like you can't think you're going to lose. You cannot think there's a chance at losing. You have to say, I don't know how I'm going to win, but I'm going to win. Right. And, just like Rocky said, it's you know, it's not how hard you hit, it's how many times you can get hit and keep getting up and keep and moving forward, right? And that that's the part of it. You've got to be willing to take the beating and you've got to be willing to keep walking forward into that beating.
0: Oh, that is golden advice. Anthony, great to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey, which is, I can tell, far from over. Best of luck to you
1: thank you so much i appreciate it, Liz. great to see you
0: anthony Geisler of exponential fitness uh yeah he's, a CEO, he's publicly traded i mean you know what next is this guy's a meteor that knows no bounds and for all of you who dream of it just take anthony's story and use it as fuel please these stories on everyone talk to liz really kind of propel you we hope and spread the word listen more. And uh, we're absolutely thrilled that you're part of Liz's army. Thank you so much. And I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network for The and Countdown.
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.